leading a startup team, whether you're delivering a sugar rush, stocking coffee, or getting a regular delivery of snacks, Office Depot has solutions that fit every startup culture, from getting those first business cards and stationery to ordering fleece pullovers with your new logo. To learn how Office Depot and the California Technology Council have partnered to bring you savings on all of these startup essentials and more, go to californiatechnology.org forward slash member benefits. I'm Daniel Levine, and this is the Bio Report. While most drug developers have sought to target aberrant genes or the proteins driving diseases, Cirrus Pharmaceuticals has developed a proprietary platform that targets the regulatory region of DNA to not only turn genes on or off, but modulate their activity as well. The company is initially focusing on cancer and monogenic diseases. We spoke to Nancy Simonian, CEO of Cirrus, about the company's platform technology the opportunities in targeting regulators of genes, and why this could present a broad new approach to treating diseases. Nancy, thanks for joining us. Hey, Dan, it's great to be here. We're going to discuss Cirrus Pharmaceuticals, its platform for developing drugs that can regulate gene expression, and its therapeutic pipeline. Perhaps you can begin with a brief overview of Cirrus, which was launched by a pair of venture capital firms based on the work of academic scientists into gene control regulators that have been dubbed super enhancers. What was the vision for the company? Well, the vision for the company uh, is to, you know, create value for patients uh, by creating transformative medicines um, in people with severe diseases and uh, based on our leading expertise in gene control. And we started the company up around five years ago based on the groundbreaking sort of biology and technology coming out of uh, MIT and the Dana-Farber, all around the uh, ability to understand and analyze the regulatory regions of the genome to give us insight in terms of uh, the genes that were important in controlling um, and uh, disease both in yeah, normal cells and in, in, in disease cells. So that was the original basis for the company. And now, um, in just a very short period of time, we have uh, two programs in clinical development, three in preclinical, and then um, you know additional programs behind it, both in the cancer space and in the monogenic disease space. What makes what you're calling super enhancers attractive targets? What are super enhancers and do they represent new therapeutic targets? Yeah, so um, super enhancers are part of the regulatory genome and the way to think about them is they're the, they're the switches that control the level of expression of genes in your genome. Um, and, um, and the reason that they're very attractive is, is they're, you know, kind of, they were an enabling discovery 
um, in the field of gene regulation. Because prior to that, people didn't really understand how one got coordinated expression of a set of genes to determine sort of what a cell's function was. Because when you think about a skin cell or a muscle cell, they have identical genetic material. So if you just sequence them, they would look the same, but of course they function differently. And um, these enhancers and super enhancers gave us a lens into which were the most critical genes that were responsible for cell state and fate. And we built at the company that's been a major part of our arsenal in kind of leading um, the approach to how to control the expression of genes that we think are important in disease. How do you determine what super enhancer you target in a given disease? And do you target just one at a time or do you seek to target multiple enhancers? Yeah. So we um, much, much of our work starts in primary human disease tissue. We think that that's the most appropriate you know, model system uh, for human disease. So we can profile these regulatory regions, including super enhancers in normal cells and then in disease cells, and we can look across the disease and we can see what's different in subsets of patients. And, and based on that, then we determine which are the super enhancers or the genes that are controlled by the super enhancers that we, uh, we may want to control um, for, uh, for therapeutic purposes. And are you targeting just one of these or is there a way to target multiple regulators of the genes? Yeah, it depends on the approach that we're taking. But in the case of uh, cancer where, you know, there's maybe multiple pathways that are dysregulated, um, we can control various components of a super enhancer that alter the level of expression of multiple genes. And of course, we think that's very important in diseases where there may be multiple dysregulated pathways like cancer. In the case of some of the monogenic diseases and the one that we're uh, currently focused on is sickle cell disease, we're focused on a uh, an enhancer that specifically regulates a gene uh, called hemoglobin uh, F, where we know that if we can modulate the level of expression of that gene, that we can have therapeutic benefits. So depending on the particular disease uh, context, we might try to control a whole set of genes, or we might try to control a single gene. But our platform really gives us the ability to, to do either. And how challenging are these as therapeutic targets? Are there half-life issues with the, the drugs you're developing or, or issues of getting them where they need to go to have a therapeutic effect? No, you know, our, our approach has been to use a small molecule to target these regulatory proteins that are part of the um, these, you know, these uh, regulatory regions of the genome. And um, in some cases, they're, um, you know, proteins that, again, sit down right on the DNA, but they have druggable pockets. And by using small molecules, we can get through the cellular membrane and the nuclear membrane. Um, so the therapeutic approach that we're taking, which is a small molecule approach, does it really enables us to target these nuclear proteins. The lead candidates in your, your program are, are, are focused on cancer. Why is that? Is there something about this approach that makes cancer particularly attractive to these therapies? And so, you know, our platform has very broad applications. As I um, mentioned, uh, you know, we, we increasingly now know that the altered regulation of genes is probably the, one of the most important uh, abnormalities that happens in a whole range of human diseases. If we look at 
um, a lot of complex diseases. Most of the genetic variation is in these regulatory regions of the genome. So rather than having abnormal proteins, we have normal proteins, but at, at the wrong level. Um, so again, the, because of that, we know that we could work, uh, the platform can work broadly. We decided early on at the company to initially focus in the cancer space, and that was because cancer is uh, by nature a disease where there's altered regulations of multiple genes, and we thought that our uh, approach and platform by targeting these regulatory elements, we could control a whole set of pathways at the same time. So cancer was very attractive from that standpoint. In the cancer space, we not only focus on the cancer cells themselves, but also on the immune cells that are in the cancer, and that's important because the immune cells aren't undergoing genetic alterations like the cancer cells. They're switching from one cell state to another, and that's all based on the alterations and the changes that are occurring in these regulatory genomes. So in some ways, our platform is very uh, well suited to understand how to switch a immunosuppressive immune cell into an immunostimulatory one that may be important in, in, in cancer in that realm. And we have a preclinical program really focused on, on that in the macrophage space. And then, you know, uh, we also more recently have been focused on uh, monogenic diseases where our approach is to really focus on a single gene where we want to alter the level of expression. So um, we have broad applications, but we are focusing right now on cancer and monogenic diseases. But we've also utilized that broad platform to, um, in the strategic partnership area. So um, earlier this year, we did a uh, discovery deal with Insight in the area of myeloproliferative neoplasm. Uh, disease area that we weren't focused in, but that we could utilize our platform and in, in the foundation that we built here to, um, to you know, to work on a disease and provide benefit to patients in other therapeutic areas. Your lead candidate, SY1425, is being developed for AML. What is SY1425 and how does it work? So SY1425 is a retinoic acid receptor alpha agonist or RARA agonist. That is a nuclear hormone receptor or a transcription factor that binds to these regulatory regions of the genome. And its normal function is either to turn on or to turn off a whole program related to differentiation of cells. And what we found uh, by using our platform, we um, discovered a novel proprietary biomarker that made cells, if they had that biomarker, susceptible to the differentiation effects of SY1425. And we uh, focused our efforts uh, with 1425 in a type of uh, cancer um, called acute myelogenous leukemia and myelodysplastic syndrome, which is essentially a tumor of sort of immature cells that are sort of halted in their um, ability to differentiate. And so by um, selecting uh, uh, the right patients by using our biomarker, we can drive those cells into a differentiated cell state uh, for therapeutic benefit. Your stock took a significant hit when you reported mid-stage clinical results at ASH. The drug failed to meet the trial's endpoints as a single agent. Only one of 58 patients had a complete response. How surprising or disappointing were those findings, and, and do they question the approach you're taking? No, not, not at all. We, when we uh, initiated the trial, we were studying the drug both as a monotherapy and in combination. The initial data that we read out last year was in monotherapy, and our combination work is ongoing. 
I think what we demonstrated last year was really proof of principle behind the underlying findings. So, so first of all, we were able to show that the presence of the biomarker um, that we discovered correlated with the ability of uh, these uh, cells to differentiate in response to 1425, which was the whole underlying uh, premise for the discovery. And then patients taking 1425 as a monotherapy, and these were relapsed refractory AML and NDS patients. We saw 43% of patients that actually had clinical activity as measured by hematologic improvements, so improvements in their red cells, platelets, and or neutrophils, as well as reductions in their blast counts, including uh, one out of 23 patients that had a, a complete remission. And so this was really sort of proof of principle that this drug, which is a differentiation agent, again, it's not a cytotoxic drug, could drive cells into a differentiated cell state. Um, and that we already saw clinical activity as a monotherapy, which really formed the, um, the, the continued um, uh, investment in the combination approaches, which I mentioned was, had been ongoing. And so when we combine uh, 1425 with uh, azocytidine, which is a hypomethylating agent, uh, we see um, deeper and durable, uh, more durable, um, complete regressions of tumors. And we also see that tumor cells die in response to the drugs when put together, um, which I think is um, is ultimately what we want to do um, in the clinic with these uh, types of combinations. And we also have a combination where we're combining SY1425 with an anti-CD38 drug called daratumumab. And that's based on the discovery that 1425, when it induces differentiation of cells, it upregulates the expression of CD38. So we can take AML cells that normally are not responsive to anti-CD38 drugs and um, make them now responsive to uh, 1425. So we are very excited about those two um, combination arms um, where we're currently enrolling patients expect to have a data in the fourth quarter of this year from them, uh, so, those combinations. And what is the clinical path forward, the, the timing when, when you might be able to actually move this uh, in combination for a uh, an approval. Well, so the drugs right now are in um, phase two, um, you know, in phase two study in combination. So the, you know, the data that we will get later this year will help to inform the, the path forward that we take. But we're, you know, we're already studying um, those drugs in combination. You also have a a second candidate, SY1365, which is being developed for breast and ovarian cancer uh, with the potential to treat other cancers. What is that and, and how does that work? Yeah, so um, SY1365 is a selective CDK7 inhibitor. CDK7 is a transcriptional kinase that's part of the regulatory genome. It's part of the super-enhancer complex, and it's important in controlling the level of expression of a whole set of genes. And what we and others have found is that it can selectively down-regulate the expression of oncogenic transcription factors and anti-apoptotic uh, proteins. And when we treat uh, cancer cells with 1365, those cells undergo apoptotic cell death. Um, and in our preclinical models, we can get kind of complete tumor regressions with the drug as a, as a single agent. And so last year, we started um, a first-in-man study um, in a dose escalation phase of the study, which was in all-comer solid tumors. We plan to um, move into the expansion phase of that study 
around mid this year, and that expansion phase will include uh, patients with ovarian cancer, both as a single agent and in combination with carboplatinum. And we also will be studying it in HR-positive breast cancer uh, following frontline therapy, advanced uh, HR-positive in combination with fulvestrin. So our, our approach is to focus the drug both as a monotherapy in combination in these uh, two different tumor types, which we've shown uh, preclinically are very sensitive to searching to see that. When I think of therapies that have the potential to regulate or, or modulate genes, I think of antisense or RNAi. How does your approach fit into that? Are there advantages over those other approaches? Yeah, so um, I think when I when I think about um, the approach that we're taking, um, I would sort of the analogy I would make in the cancer space would be to thinking about um, anti hormonal drugs like anti estrogen drugs or anti androgen drugs, um, which are basically also nuclear hormone receptors um, where, um, uh, you know, treating with hormonal therapies can turn those cancers into, you know, uh, more chronic diseases because of the ability to modulate a whole set of important genes in that particular tumor type. So I think the advantage of the approach that we have is by targeting sort of uh, single proteins that are part of the regulatory complex we could control the expression of a whole set of genes that are important in um, the pathogenesis of that tumor. Um, so that, I think the advantage is, you know, we know in, for the most part in cancers, there's not one single alteration, there's multiple alterations. And the tumor cells learn to acquire super enhancers to control the expression of important genes that are driving the cancer cell state. So by targeting... Um, those regulatory regions of the genome, we could affect multiple pathways that we think are driving disease. So I think the advantage is the ability to, with a single target, to affect uh, multiple genes and multiple pathways. And that's different than, let's say, an RNAi approach where you're really just targeting, uh, let's say, a single gene. As you alluded to earlier, developing therapeutics that can target the regulation of genes and, and not just turn them on or off, but modulate them would have potentially very broad therapeutic effects. You mentioned sickle cell disease, but where do you see the, the biggest opportunities down the road? Well, I think the, is this a, the opportunity could be very broad. I mean, our, our main focus on, at the company is in the cancer space um, as well as in the monogenic disease space. So I think, um, you know, there, as I said, I think it could work across, you know, a broad range of, of different uh, tumor type or tumor and disease states, and you know we'll look to continue to leverage our platform through strategic partnerships um, outside of our, our core areas. But you know, you know what's been so interesting is in the last several years we are increasingly seeing that um, a lot of these um, a lot of diseases and well, actually a lot of neurodevelopmental diseases and all our really a result of these um, genetic variations in the expression, the controlling the level of expression of genes. So I think there's going to be a really tremendous opportunity uh, going forward um, very broadly. Nancy Simonian, CEO of Cirrus Pharmaceuticals. Nancy, thanks so much for your time today. Yeah, thank you, Dan. It was a pleasure. Thanks for listening. The Bio Report is a production of the Levine Media Group. 
To automatically download this podcast each week, subscribe to our RSS feed or through iTunes or other podcast manager. To join our mailing list, go to levinemediagroup.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you want to drop us a line or are interested in sponsoring this podcast, send email to danny at levinemediagroup.com. Special thanks to Jonah Levine, who composed our theme music, and the Jonah Levine Collective, which performs it.